1: This hour of the Costa Report is brought to you by Dole Food Company, the world's leading producer and distributor of fresh fruits and vegetables. Welcome to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and thank you for joining me for another two hours of Straight Talk Radio. As you know, I open our program each week by welcoming members of our armed forces who are tuning in from remote locations over the Internet. Thank you for your service and for making us part of your Newsweek. I also want to welcome listeners who are joining us on new affiliates in New York, Wyoming, New Hampshire, Washington, Idaho, and from coast to coast, including the great state of Hawaii. Today we have the pleasure of speaking with political writer, television host, and one of the most knowledgeable experts you will ever meet when it comes to American politics, Mr. Steve Kornacki. In addition to providing insight on the 2016 election, he's also going to help us look at the impact relaxing trade and other restrictions in Iran may have further down the road, a subject we don't hear nearly enough about in the primary debates. But before Mr. Kornacki joins us, As is my custom each week, let me tell you a little about his background. Stephen Kornacki was born in Groton, Massachusetts, and is a graduate of Boston University. His first foray into journalism began as a reporter for New Jersey political news site politicsnj.com. From here, he went on to co-host News 12 in New Jersey and began reporting for Roll Call and contributing articles to the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, New York Post, Boston Globe, and Daily Beast everywhere. (laughs) Then in 2010, Kornacki joined Salon.com as a staff writer and made television appearances on programs like The Rachel Maddow Show, where his command of political history and keen observations quickly stood out. In short order, MSNBC offered Kornacki a regular spot on their afternoon program, The Cycle. And eight months later, he took over as host of Up before moving on to become the Monday host for Meet the Press Daily on MSNBC. But what you may remember Kornacki for best is his breaking news concerning Bridgegate and his always informed historical perspective when it comes to election coverage. His memory has been described as encyclopedic and his good old-fashioned investigative reporting a breath of fresh air. I also want to mention that rumor has it that Kornacki is working on a book, which will be released sometime in the next year, and there's already a lot of buzz about it. So we'll see if in the next hour he'll give us a sneak peek at what we can expect. It's my pleasure to welcome to the Costa Report sports enthusiast, host of NTP on Mondays, and political journalist Steve Kornacki. Thank you for joining us today, Mr. Kornacki.
2: Thanks for having me. That's a, that's a really generous introduction. I really appreciate that.
1: <laughs> well, I think we got all our facts straight. You've got quite <laughs> a uh, quite an acom- accomplished history there uh, for uh, what's actually a very. You know, I'm, I'm looking at the coverage these days, and it's kind—it's a lot of older folks. We don't get enough, you know, young, fresh perspective. Um, do you think that we're just weighed too much toward uh, f- people that are, I don't know, maybe the baby boomer crowd?
2: Um, I, you know, that, that's an interesting question. I mean, the way I look at it, I, I kind of like... Uh, I, I like people who have institutional memory, institutional knowledge. It comes with having been around. It comes with having experience. It comes with having lived through a lot of the stuff I'm writing about. A lot of what I what I write about and talk about is trying to connect, you know, the past, trying to relatively recent past, you know, uh, fifteen, twenty, maybe thirty years ago, the past generation or so, sure. um, of American politics to what's playing out now. And, and I mean, one of my favorite things to do is to to check in with and, and, and kind of catch up with or, or revisit with, um, you know, the people who were, maybe they're not in the news right now. Um, but they were, they were big players in the news 10 years ago or 20 years ago or 30 years ago. Um, and I always think they have an incredible amount of just, just raw knowledge, obviously about what they, what they experienced, but also I think that gives them a really interesting perspective on what's going on right now. So some those are some of my favorite conversations, I think, um, you know, people who've, uh, Been around the block a little bit.
1: Well, speaking of perspective, uh, I have to come clean. I have never seen an election. I'm almost 60 years old. I've never seen an election season like this. (laughs) I just, I am, I I mean, I I, I can't close my mouth. It's open all the time because I'm just shocked at what I hear the candidates saying. And more and more analysts are saying that uh, this could shape up to be a Trump Clinton um uh you know candidacy um i cannot think of a more diverse field of candidates but maybe i'm not looking far back enough uh, what do you say
2: no i i mean i think you're uh, i don't think you're alone in thinking that and i don't think you're off at all i mean i i i mean i feel the same way what i've lived through what i've what i've gone back and and studied um i think certainly you know look the the country's more than 200 years old so we've had you know a lot of different uh sort of interesting eras in American politics and in sort of this modern era, if you want to go back over the last, you know, say since World War II, maybe since, you know, the 60s, some, somewhere in that period. But we certainly haven't had anything like this. What makes it fun, though, what makes this campaign so fun to me, so interesting, um, you know, to get up every day and try to track what's going on and what the new developments are, what's great about it is it's just proving how little all of us, political reporters, political consultants, professionals, how little all of us actually know. Um, there were all sorts of sort of rules about presidential campaigns that, you know, the sort of political scientists of the world thought they had come up with that would explain all of these campaigns that made all these campaigns in, in their view, almost, almost sort of preordained in terms of the outcomes. Um, and those rules one by one are blowing up right in front of us in this campaign. I mean, the, uh, the political science crowd, and, and this is also true, I think, of the uh, – there's been this big rise of sort of data journalism, they call it, you know, uh, the, the idea that, uh, you know, you can look at a set of numbers and you can you can kind of learn everything you need to know about an election, um, about what's going on, what's going to happen just through the numbers. Um, those sorts of people have been telling us since June, since Donald Trump got in this race, you know, yeah, it's not that big of a deal. It'll fade. It'll go away. Uh, the media is making too much of it. And they're getting quiet now because they don't have much left to say. But I think that's what makes it so interesting. I think we had reached a point maybe in the last couple of years um, where we kind of I think there was a cynicism that might have been setting into political coverage that, uh, you know, we've seen it all before, um, you know, a candidate like Trump comes along and we're just conditioned to say, oh, we've seen this. We saw Herman Cain, you know, four years ago and he had, you know, a couple of weeks in the spotlight that he faded away. And Surely that's all that's all this Donald Trump thing will be and And I think we're just finding out now this is this is the part I love. Um, I think new rules for politics are being written in real time right now and and yes. finding out what those rules are to me is um it's invigorating. i mean it's it's great
1: i I find it very invigorating too. I think the old models of how elections are conducted uh, are just gone. They've been destroyed by this election season. And I find that exciting, and I think it's going to engage more voters than at any other time in history, uh, because we're looking at the the future future vision of the country. We're looking at a Democratic socialist, Sanders, versus potentially a billionaire businessman. I mean, how more extreme could it be? you You couldn't make this stuff up
2: and you might even get if that happens, if those two emerge from this primary process, Sanders and Trump you might get a third candidate a second billionaire into the race, Michael Bloomberg because he's talking about if it's Sanders, if it's Trump, he's thinking there might be an opening for a third candidate so you'd have the socialists running against two billionaires.
1: There, There you go and you know, as you and I know if this was a Hollywood script, nobody would buy it They'd say, no, you know, it's no. not realistic, <laughs> and, and that's, let that's, alone you know, a documentary, yeah. right?
2: <laughs> right. I'll, I mean, please, the, the books that will be written about this campaign and, and, and the, you know, the stories that will emerge from it, I, I can't wait to, uh, to dive into. And I mean, that's, that's the thing I was talking just a second ago, you know, these, these sort of rules of political science. And, I mean, one of them, one of them was, and I think one of the reasons why all the sort of so-called smart people in politics were so sure the Trump thing was going nowhere Um, One of the rules has supposedly been you look at um, the leaders in in any party, whether that's the elected officials or sort of, you know, influential radio hosts or television hosts or columnists, you know, people who have a big voice And, and you look at what they're saying and the voters will follow them. And that's been the model. Well, so not anymore.
1: Experience. Not anymore. As you point oh. out, that's not working so well these days. Unfortunately, we've we've got to take a hard break here, but stay right where you are. We'll be right back with more from Steve Karnacki. You're listening to The Costa Report. I'm here today with Scott Caraccioli of Caraccioli Cellars, recent winners of the best sparkling wine in the U.S. in the Champagne and Sparkling Wine World Championship. Congratulations, Scott. Thank you, Rebecca. Thanks for having me. So what is it about your brute cuvee that beat all the other competitors around the world?
3: We really focus on creating an expression of the Santa Lucia Highlands and doing it the right way. And when you control the process from the beginning to the end and you have talent like Michelle and top tier grapes, they really shine through. This was a worldwide competition. It was definitely a humbling experience. We were in a room with producers that have been making wine for over 100, 200 years and was a huge honor to have Tom Stevenson give us the best U.S. Sparkling Wine Award. We fared really well overall. We had three wines win best of class, which was great. Visit the Caraccioli Tasting Room on Dolores Street in Carmel by the Sea, or find us online at caracciolicellars.com, or reach us by phone, 831-622-7722.
1: Every day our world gets more complicated. Not only is new information coming at us faster than we can manage, new regulations, technology, and the effects of globalization have made it much more difficult to succeed. That's why I wrote The Watchman's Rattle, a book that, for the first time, explains how complexity makes it hard to separate facts from fiction and eventually causes us to make important decisions based on unproven beliefs. And not just us, our leaders also fall prey to this phenomena. But here's the good news. Once you know the symptoms to watch for, you can safeguard against them. So please, go to RebeccaCosta.com, that's RebeccaCosta.com, and order your copy of The Watchman's Rattle. It only takes a few minutes and the shipping is free. That's RebeccaCosta.com. Do it now, you'll be glad you did.
4: Is your computer running real slow like this? Or are you getting the blue screen of death? Do you have to do a restart several times a session? Tired of viruses, spyware, malware, and slow, worthless tech support? Face it, it's too late to download another free PC fix-it program, thinking it'll be restored to out-of-box purity. Oh, no, 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 no. You need the fast-friendly computer pros at User-Friendly Computing. Just drop it off at their office at 505 River Street across from the Gateway Plaza or give them a call at 831-423-9653 and they'll come to you. Mention KSCO and get a free $50 diagnostic. PC or Mac, desktop or laptop, they can do it all at User-Friendly Computing. Call 831 831- four two three nine six five three
5: okay well our stalker is back Jenny Love the stalker is back and brought us a big bunch of stalking nonsense today but I did get an addition I don't know if I can put it on with my headphones so I'm actually just going to take my headphones off and just keep going so I'm going to put on the first bit and you'll have to talk once you see me with it on because another you know, one this one is um, I'm guessing you can see this right you can see she's wearing to tell the a rubber wearing. yeah
4: so a, she's she's talking so right now wearing. she thinks she's brought casting still but she looks ridiculous That's her. She's wearing a rubber. Listen, she's still going. Okay, let's let's tune in. Let's see what she's doing. Oh yeah, I bet that was good. Now she's got hooves and a rubber mask. She looks like a unicorn. Good morning, Monterey Bay, the Central Coast leader in complete and utter nonsense. Catch Rick Rosie and the Gang on Good Morning Monterey Bay weekday mornings, six to nine a.m. on KSCO AM 1080.
1: Welcome back to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and my guest today has been called the brainiest host on television and certainly is one of the most knowledgeable when it comes to political history, Mr. Steve Karnacki. And before the break, you were pointing out that the importance of getting the support and endorsement of influential party members and the media uh, has been diminished somewhat in this election, which used to play a big role, and I wanted to give you an opportunity to finish that thought.
2: Yeah, no. I, I mean, just just think about it for a second. I mean, on the Republican side, you know, you try to put a list together uh, of a uh, who has endorsed Donald Trump, who's leading in the polls. You can't find a single United States senator, a single governor, a single current member of Congress uh, who's with him. He's got he's got a couple of you know he's got former Alaska Governor Sarah Palin. You know, he's got a uh, former Senator Scott Brown. That's about it. He does not have really anything to speak of when it comes to endorsements, and yet he is leading uh, by such a big margin And on the Democratic side. Bernie Sanders has pulled pretty close to even with Hillary Clinton, and it's the same thing. You can find maybe four or five uh, members of Congress or elected officials, major elected officials who are with Sanders. You can find hundreds who are with Hillary Clinton, but that's not reflected when you actually ask voters what they think. I mean, more than ever, both parties right now, we're seeing voters look at, listen to, hear their party leaders weigh in and then they're saying we don't care and they're doing their own thing. And, and, you know, that's the, the models that political science has put out there have been telling us that's not supposed to be what happens. And and when I say it's fun, that's why it's fun. When people stop listening to the people they're supposed to listen to, that's when things get fun.
1: Well, as you point out on the democratic side, uh, Hillary Clinton is leading by an overwhelming margin when it comes to the super delegates. And that's going to present a major problem. if, uh, Sa- Sanders wins the um, popular primary vote.
2: Right. And that's so this is uh, what I keep thinking with Sanders is the, the way to understand the Democratic race is he, he can't put it this way. If you if you think back to eight years ago when it was Barack Obama uh, and Hillary Clinton, if mm-hmm. you went through all the primaries and caucuses and you added up all of the, the votes they each received, the popular votes, it was it was as close to a tie as you'll ever see. Yes. Um, might have been you know a slight advantage there for Barack Obama, but he had all that support. He had plenty of support from superdelegates, so he was able to win the nomination. If Bernie Sanders did the exact same thing this time around, if he got the same number of votes that Barack Obama did, won the same number of primaries, the same number of caucuses, and basically fought Hillary Clinton to a tie, he would lose because he will not have any support from superdelegates. He will have basically all of it, the the Democratic Party as an institution does not want to nominate Bernie Sanders. And so the challenge for the Sanders campaign is basically, politically speaking, he has to put a gun to the head of the Democratic Party. And and the way to do that uh, is he has to clearly, clearly emerge from the primary season as the choice of the voters um, so that he gives them no choice. He gives the party leaders no choice, and they have to stand with him or risk a rebellion from their own voters.
1: Well, that's true, because, you know, we have to remember, these are the primaries. Once you get to a national election, you don't want to have alienated any of your constituency because you didn't abide by their popular desire.
2: Exactly. I mean, if if Bernie Sanders clearly had uh, uh, the most votes and the most delegates that you accumulate through the primaries and and caucuses, uh, and we got to the end of this process and the The superdelegates, those are the the elected officials who automatically become delegates at the convention. If they looked at that and said, well, you know, that's nice, but we're still going with Hillary Clinton, then you're dealing with a situation where potentially millions of Democratic voters are saying, no way are we voting for Hillary Clinton in the fall if you give her the nomination that's right. after this. So that's that's the kind of scenario Sanders has to has to force here.
1: Yeah, that's right. He's going to have to force the hand. That's the only way that can go down. Let's talk about the GOP race for a moment. Uh, you've said that if Donald Trump were any normal candidate, this run would be over, in the same way that Newt Gingrich uh, tapped the Republican base only to be cannibalized by his own party. Do, do you think still think that's a valid comparison with Newt Gingrich?
2: I, I think we're finding out it's not. I, I, I mean, you know, Gingrich uh, was one of those candidates four years ago, and, and I, you know, Herman Cain I mentioned a minute ago. Mm-hmm. Uh Newt Gingrich was one of them. They Rick Perry. They had moments. You know, they um, there was this there was this appetite among Republican voters to have somebody other than Mitt Romney be the nominee, mm-hmm. and they sort of kept auditioning new people for the role. But once those people would get the spotlight for a few weeks. Uh, they wouldn't, the voters wouldn't like what they were seeing and they'd move on. And we saw that with Gingrich. He, uh, you know, he, he had that big win in South Carolina. He got the spotlight. He had an opportunity and then he kind of withered. Uh, he didn't hold up well under the spotlight. And and that was the story of 2012. All these, all these would be usurpers kind of stepped forward and, and and couldn't handle the spotlight. But I mean, with Trump, Trump has been leading in, uh, if you average all the, all the polls that are out there, if you average them together, Trump has been leading in the average of the national polls, since July now, um, none of those candidates in 2012 who were running against Romney ever led for more than, you know, three weeks at a time, and, and Trump's been doing it for seven or eight months now, um, so I, I think we've just, he's clearly established that he is something very, very different uh, in Republican politics, in American politics, um, and, and I think I'm at the point now where if he wins South Carolina this Saturday, if he wins it convincingly, and that's still an if, we don't know, but if he does. I mean, you're getting to the point there where if it were any other candidate, if it were a more normal candidate uh, doing as well as Trump is in these early contests, you'd be ready to say this is about over.
1: That's right. That's right. Now, it's also interesting that in recent polls, they're showing working class males and females, which were have been a Democratic stronghold, beginning to cross over to support Trump. And it, it feels like he's tapped their anger and frustration and Um, You know, in some cases, they've heard so many promises by Beltway insiders that they're they're trending toward a Washington outsider. Um, It's I find that to be an interesting phenomenon. It bodes well as a national as we get closer to a national election.
2: No, I, I agree. And I think this is something Democrats have to be careful about, because if you I mean, if you ask most Democrats, hey, you know, Donald Trump, if he's the Republican nominee, how do you feel about that? they get very excited because they think Trump is going to be easy to beat because of some of the outlandish things he said. They, and they, they look back, what they do is they look at the 2012 election, and they, they say, well, look, you know, uh, Mitt Romney was just blown out when it came to Latino voters. He was blown out when it came to black voters, not just in terms of losing to Barack Obama among black voters, but the turnout that the black voters had uh, made it even worse for Romney. And then they say, look, the next Republican nominee has to make some inroads with minority voters or there's just no chance that the demographics of the country are just changing in that way and there's there's some truth to that but what Trump is showing the potential at least the potential to do is to like you say is to win over these blue collar white voters uh, who did not vote for Romney either in 2012 and if Trump can peel them off uh, and bring them into the Republican coalition he may not need to make the kind of gains uh, with non-white voters that uh, that it's been assumed the Republicans need to make. And there is some evidence of that. And the other thing is those same voters, those sort of uh, blue-collar white voters, um, in these Democratic primaries, they are siding. We're starting to see it now. They are siding strongly with Bernie Sanders over Hillary Clinton. So, again, if, if they're for Sanders, if they're against Clinton, if Clinton's the nominee... Those voters might be up for grabs, and, and yeah, Trump is showing up. They may Trump go Trump. They may go
1: from Saunders hey. to Trump, which is a, an incredible thought. <laughs> but if they're not going to go for Clinton, you may see a number of frustrated, uh, you know, working class voters uh, putting their support behind Trump. I think Trump I, has been—he's right. been underestimated from day one, and it's interesting we continue to underestimate him, <laughs> even though he's hung uh-huh. in there since July. Listen, we got to take another uh, break, but when we come back, we'll continue talking about this phenomenon because uh, everyone has underestimated him, and and they continue to do so. And uh, and we'll talk a little bit about uh, Iran and relaxing uh, economic sanctions against them as well. You're listening to the Costa Report. Mm-hmm.
6: Do you love creating salads as much as you enjoy eating them? Hi, I'm Amy Tobin, cookbook author and culinary expert. Dole inspires fresh and wholesome dishes for any meal with their wide selection of salad blends and all-natural salad kits. From the mild and tender texture of sweet butter lettuce to the crunch of classic romaine sprinkled with colorful shredded carrots and red cabbage, Dole has over 30 salad blends to satisfy every palate.
5: Calling all trivia buffs, join the Volunteer Center of Santa Cruz for a night of fun at the 7th Annual Trivia Challenge. Teams can register now for the event happening on February 26th from 6 to 9.30 p.m. at the Santa Cruz Civic Auditorium. Join Dale Julin of KSBW TV as the Master of Ceremonies for a festive evening of live music, food, drinks, raffle prizes, and a friendly competition as teams compete for the Smarty Pants Team of the Year Award. Form a team or play along from the stands as a spectator. This fabulously quirky event, from the elephant seal mascot to the team camaraderie, has grown. to an annual favorite with college students, local businesses, and community advocates alike. Don't miss out on the fun. Proceeds from this year's event will support the senior programs at the Volunteer Center of Santa Cruz County. Learn more, purchase tickets, or register at www.sctriviachallenge.org or call 831-427-5070.
1: Hi, I'm Rebecca Costa, host of the Costa Report. I don't know if you feel a little sluggish in the middle of the afternoon like I do, but if you do, I'm going to suggest you try Pollen Burst. It's an orange-flavored energy drink that comes in a packet, and it tastes a lot like that other orange drink the astronauts used to drink. You know the one. Pollenburst contains vitamins A, B1, B3, B6, B12, pantothenic acid, vitamin D3, and gluconolactone, all designed to give you an energy boost that can last for hours. Pollenburst comes in a box of 30 packets for $56 or two boxes for $100 and you can order it right now at kscoteam.com. The next time you feel tired and need a little boost, skip the coffee, soda, or candy bar and mix up a cold glass of Pollen Burst and do your body some real good. Go to kscoteam.com.
4: Cash flows and money move. The Money Moves show is dedicated to delivering tips and tools to help you earn more, save more, and protect your hard-earned assets. Host Pamela Fugit hedrick interacts with her guests and callers every Thursday night from 7 to 8 p.m recent topics have included what is going on locally with health insurance tips to maximize your social security income how do you build an emergency fund for your family Medicare 101 tips how do you choose and pay for home health care and many other topics. So, tune in, take notes, call, and get answers to your financial questions from Pamela Fugit Hedrick on Money Moves Thursdays at 7 p.m. That's Money Moves Thursdays, 7 p.m. on KSCO, AM 1080 Santa Cruz, and KOMY 1340 Watsonville and 104.1 on your FM dial. <laughs>
1: back to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and if you're just joining us, our guest today is MSNBC's own Steve Kornacki. And when we took our break, we were talking about the fact that the press and GOP leadership have pretty much underestimated Donald Trump, uh, who doesn't seem to too concerned with courting minority voters. So there's a rumor, uh, it's just getting started, that somehow Trump and Rubio have made some kind of deal to pile on Ted Cruz and have him go away. Uh, what, do, what do you say about that?
2: Yeah, I don't know. I'm trying to figure out exactly what, uh, how all this uh, infighting Uh, works. I mean, there's just, you've got Bush taking shots at Rubio, taking shots at Cruz, who's taking shots at Trump. I mean, the one thing is, it it really seems like the one thing that benefits Trump here more than anything else is a split field. The longer he can keep as many of these other candidates viable as possible, the better he's going to be. Because when you look at these polls, uh, he's leading, obviously, when you start asking voters who your second choice is, he is, he's the first choice of many. He's the second choice of few, Donald Trump is. Yes. Um, so the longer he keeps all of them viable, I think, the, I think the better he does. And I know that's something that's really frustrated the Rubio campaign in particular. They, they really uh, they want the idea out there, and they really believe that if they could ever get a one-on-one with Donald Trump, they'd actually win. They think the majority of the party uh, is still not with Trump, that what's propping Trump up is, is that divided field. You know, I'm, I'm, again, I'm not sure. We've So many of our assumptions about Trump have been wrong, like you're saying. So I, I'm not convinced that if you just reduce it to Trump versus Rubio, uh, Rubio wins. Um, but uh, it would be, I think, a little bit more complicated for Donald Trump. In that but case. but so, let's consider
1: um, a Trump, you know, Trump comes in first, Rubio comes in second, and they decide to run together. Then that sort of takes care of that minority voter that Trump has not been able to court.
2: Well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> then that's... It's interesting. I mean, can you imagine just about any of these candidates at this point teaming up with Donald Trump? Um, I'm trying to imagine who he said the least uh, inflammatory well, thing. He, about. Well, he's been backing uh, off
1: of Rubio, and, and they both seem to be going after Cruz to eliminate him. That's why I think there may be some credence to this rumor.
2: Yeah, well, I mean, and that's a, well, I've had that conversation with people. It's a fun thing to try to think about, because usually with a, with a conventional, a normal candidate, a normal politician – you can come up with a pretty simple list of, you know, who would their VP be, and you, sure. it's pretty obvious who the five or six choices would be. That's the same with Trump. No one has any idea, because he has no real, in terms of Congress and elected officials, he has no real allies. So there's no obvious person for him to tap. I've, I've also heard some chatter about John Kasich. He doesn't attack Kasich that much. Part of that's because Kasich's so far behind him, but, you know, Kasich's the governor of Ohio, the big swing state of Ohio. Um, so I've heard some people suggest Kasich um, I've heard Scott Brown, you know the, the one of the few former elected officials to uh, to endorse Trump, the former senator um, from Massachusetts now lives up in New Hampshire. I've heard that name, you know, floated as a possibility. But that's that's the thing with Trump. There's just um, I'd love to see what the short list looks like for him. Well, I way. would
1: love to see someone in the media ask these candidates who's on their short list. No, nobody seems to ask him, who's on your shortlist for VP? Who's on your shortlist for cabinet positions? Because you're not really electing a president. You're electing an entire cabinet. The job's too complicated these days. I don't see any reason with them you know, forcing their hand and asking them to let us you know, preview who's on their shortlist for cabinet positions. Do you?
2: Yeah. No. Well, I mean, the one name he, he always puts out there, um, not for any position in particular, is Carl Icahn. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, the, the investor, and he's always talking about, you know, the theme of Trump's campaign is we're going to make better deals. We're going to negotiate better than anybody's negotiating.
3: We're going to win. You know, Carl Ica- <laughs> right.
2: And you're going to be so tired of winning. We know all the lines by now. Right? But, uh, but Carl Icahn's the name he's always mentioning. He's actually icon is supporting him. and he's, He talks about sending him around in some kind of negotiating role to deal with the, uh, the Chinese government and, and the Mexican government. Uh, that's the one name he has put out there.
1: Yeah. Uh, now before we, we switch gears and we talk a little bit about Iran, I, I want to finish up the, uh, election coverage here. I, I, with something that I observed, I, it's well known that you're a huge sports enthusiast and I thought it was really interesting because I couldn't help wonder if you see parallels between, uh, the election season and competition on the field and, and how that might uh, affect how you, how you cover the election.
2: Yeah, you know what it is. I, I I was telling you at the at the top here how much how enjoyable this particular election is to cover because it's so unpredictable and because there are all sorts of possible outcomes. Um, and you can you can sit there and you can say, well, you know, Trump could pull us off. Rubio could pull us off. Casey could still find a scenario. Sanders. You can go through all the possibilities. You can. Um, it's 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 a you know, it's like a Rubik's cube or something, right? There's just so many different possible combinations you're looking at at once. And, and the thing with sports is, uh, if there's one sporting event that I like more than anything else. It's the uh, it's the NCAA basketball tournament every year. You know, the, the bracket with right. you know, 68 teams now, technically, but you know, 64 in the main tournament. Anything could know, happen. I always love. Right, I love looking at the bracket, and you find the Cinderellas, the uh, the upsets no one saw coming, and and more than ever, I think um, the the. the presidential campaign right now kind of resembles March Madness. So maybe that's why I'm loving it.
1: I love that. It is March Madness.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> I've never heard anybody make that comparison. But you know, when I <laughs> when I look at sportscasters and they're covering a a live game you know, they're very careful to focus on the plays, the strategy, the players. Uh, I'm not talking about the pre- and post-game analysis where, you know, there's some bias there. And uh, and I appreciate your coverage very much because I almost feel like with all the experience you've had in, uh, you know, being a sports enthusiast and watching and listening to the coverage of the games, I, I see a little bit of that uh, kind of coming into play when you cover these topics.
2: It's, it's funny, my, when I was a kid, uh, what I wanted to do, actually, before anything else, I wanted to be a sportscaster. I wanted to be Brent no Musburger. Kidding. I wanted to call you know, basketball and football. So maybe you're hearing a little bit of that.
1: I do. I hear it. And it, it really puts a unique uh, perspective on it. Now, we've got a couple more minutes before we have to take another break. But uh, let's talk about Iran for a moment. We've got this nuclear agreement, and we have reports that the money released is now being used to buy high-tech tanks and fighters from Russia and, and uh, you know, buses from France um how do you see this relaxing the economic restrictions on Iran playing out
2: you know I, I think the the 2016 election in a lot of ways is kind of going to determine the fate of, of the deal of, of, of where the you know, the, the relaxing of the sanctions goes um, I think it's pretty clear if, if Hillary Clinton gets elected um, you know she started actually as, as Secretary of State the, the negotiations for the deal began. Yes. you know, on her watch. So she's kind of committed to it. So if, if she wins the election, I think you can kind of look for, for continuity there. People in administration that are going to look to make this, uh, to make this deal work, that's still going to see it immediately as part of the legacy. Um, and I think, you know, I mean, just it, it's, it, you look at the Republicans uh, and, you know, top to bottom, they're talking about, uh, you know, it's a terrible deal and it is a deal that needs to be uh revisited. And so I think, you know, if you get a Republican administration in there and pretty much any of these Republican candidates running now, um, you know, I mean this is a deal that's designed to play out over five, ten, fifteen years. And I you know, I I just don't think there's much reason that to think that a uh, a Republican administration will have that kind of patience. Uh, you know, with the deal. But I think the 2016 election is really, it's, it's being implemented right now. But I think the, the 2016 election is going to be what determines whether it's, you know, it's really implemented.
1: Yeah, I wonder in hindsight, if the Obama administration is regretting the fact that they didn't make this a treaty.
2: Yeah, although and then you have to get it through the U.S. Senate. And I sure. mean, we're seeing, you know, how the Senate sort of shutting down over a Supreme Court opening, I, I can only imagine Uh, you know, what's it, a two-thirds majority you need for a treaty.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: Um, Boy, tough to see him getting that in a Republican Senate, though.
1: Yeah, but on the other hand, an agreement can be, you know, undone uh, by the next administration fairly simply. So, you know, I'm just, right. I, I, it's, it's kind of, you wonder what the, <laughs> what the Iranians are thinking <laughs> at this point. We have an agreement, but hey, you know, the next administration may decide to cancel the agreement. Uh, so yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I, I was, I always thought it should have risen to treaty level, uh, something this serious and, uh, should have some permanence to it, even though mm. it would have taken a major effort to get it through the Senate. I agree with you, but.
2: No, you're I think you're right. Yes. If, if they had done it as a treaty, then we're talking about something that survives long term. Yeah, Instead, it's a political question now.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's turned into a political question. Uh, we have to take our last break, but stay right where you are. We'll be right back after these important messages from our sponsors. You're listening to The Costa Report.
7: Big data is being generated by everything around us all the time. Every digital process and social media exchange produce it. Systems, sensors, and mobile devices transmit it. Big data is arriving from multiple sources with ever-increasing velocity, volume, and variety. It's becoming the world's newest resource for competitive advantage, allowing decision-making to move from the elite few to the empowered many. The escalating demand for insights requires a fundamentally new approach to architecture, tools, and practices. To extract meaningful value from big data, you need optimal processing power, analytics capabilities, and skills. Find out how IBM Big Data and Analytics can transform your business. Visit www.ibm.com bigdata today. That's www.ibm.com slash date.
1: Now, if you've been listening to the Costa Report, you know that I'm a big fan of wines by Caraccioli Cellars. And today I'm here with Scott Caraccioli who's one of the brains behind the most memorable wines money can buy. So I have a question for you. How did your family get into the wine business?
3: Um, You know, in 2006, my father, his brother and uncle were really playing with the idea of planting a vineyard. And planting a vineyard turned into making a bottle, turned into making sparkling wine when um, Michelle came into the picture. So it was really kind of an organic situation us being in agriculture in the salinas valley and then the extension of that went to grapes and here we are today to find out more about caraccioli wines visit us at www.caracciolicellars.com or stop by our tasting room in downtown carmel california that's caraccioli cellars c-a-r-a-c-c-i-o-l-i cellars where one bottle is never enough this is Alan Lundell,
2: a.k.a. Dr. Future on KSEO Radio. Ten years ago, we bought a house out in Boulder Creek. It was a gamble because we love to be around bandwidth and power. We found the perfect house with incredible view, but no bandwidth or power. I was very despondent. I was reading Wired,
4: and I ran across this uh, Silicon Valley executive who lived in the Santa Cruz Mountains, and he claimed he had bandwidth. He was getting service from some group called Etheric Networks. So I
2: gave him a call. Theric put a dish on our roof, and boom, we suddenly had amazing bandwidth. It's been 10 years now. We've been very, very happy with their service.
4: KSCO, residential special. Residential service up to 10 megabits per second, symmetric. That's up and down for $85 a month and $199 installation. With guaranteed minimum speeds and uptime, unlike our competitors. Etheric Networks, call 650-399-4200. That's 650-399-4200. Etheric.net. That's E-T-H-E-R-I-C.net.
0: Welcome to House Calls. I'm Kathleen Richards, and I'm the host of the new show, House Calls, on KSCO Radio 1080. And
1: this coming week, we're going to have Judy Malloy with Cash Flow Solutions talk to us about how to budget. And when you're a property owner or a tenant, you got money issues. So let's face it, please call in and get your questions answered this week on House Calls, Thursday from 8 to 9 on KSCO.
7: Ed Robertson inviting you to join us for the next edition of TV Confidential. Sunday morning from 6 a.m. to 8 a.m. here on KSCO AM
2: 1080 in Santa Cruz. We will play part two of our conversation with Roy Thinnes. Plus, we'll welcome back our friend, actor and author, Jim Rosen. You'll join us for that. That's TV Confidential every Sunday morning from 6 a.m. to 8 a.m. on AM 1080 KSCO. Listen and be heard.
1: Back to the Costa report. I'm Rebecca Costa and our guest today is Steve Kornacki and we were talking about the challenge the president would have faced if he had attempted to get a treaty with Iran through the Senate as opposed to forging an agreement and uh, speaking of gridlock, uh, news of Justice Scalia's death has raised uh, another issue with uh, which voters, of course, are going to be deciding in November, and that's the balance of the Supreme Court. President Obama has uh, clearly indicated he's going to nominate a replacement, and the Republicans in the Senate have clearly indicated that the nomination should be made after the elections. So uh, it seems like another standoff.
2: Yeah, and it doesn't look like it's it's, it's going to be you know resolved uh, this year, certainly during the, the Obama presidency. I, I mean, look, it's one of those things where – the White House and its supporters are, are, are correct on two fronts. I mean, they can say that this is, uh, that this is unprecedented in terms of the Republicans saying that they won't consider anybody, let alone, you know, it's not a question of voting somebody down. The Republicans are just saying they don't even want to consider anybody and have hearings and any kind of a debate. Uh, and also the White House makes a point. Look, the Constitution certainly says that when there's a vacancy, the president is to nominate a, a, a successor, a replacement. That said... Um, there's also nothing in the constitution that, uh, that says that the Senate has to do anything. If the Senate chooses not to do anything, the Senate is within its right not to do anything. And, uh, the recourse for that, if, if people are unhappy with that, if people think the Senate should be doing something, um, is to elect a new Senate, a Senate that will do something. Um, uh, and, and the other thing too, is I, I, just think that gets lost in this all the time is, um, this standoff. Is a long time coming. It, it, it's new. It's 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 unprecedented, like I said, in, in the sense that Republicans are saying they don't want to take any kind of action. They don't think there even should be a nominee. But at the same time, we've been heading in this direction for a long time where these fights become increasingly, whenever there's a Supreme Court opening, it's become increasingly partisan. Each side has increasingly been finding new tactics that it can use has increasingly been stretching the limits of what is considered acceptable behavior. Um, I, I point this out a lot, and I, President Obama's supporters get very mad at me, but, but 10 years ago, George W. Bush was president. He made a nomination to the Supreme Court, Samuel Alito. Mm-hmm. And as a senator, Barack Obama voted to filibuster the nomination. The Filibuster meaning, you know, he said there shouldn't be a vote on this. And, and there was the president this week standing up at his press conference, you know, basically lecturing the Senate for refusing to hold a vote. Well, I mean, as a senator, he voted to keep there from being a vote on a Supreme Court nominee. Um, Now, that's not literally the same thing that's happening right now. Obama supporters are quick to point that out to me. But it it was part of a long process. I think that's played out over the last 20 or 30 years where the standards for how each party behaves when there's a Supreme Court nomination have eroded. And both parties have contributed to that. The president himself is hardly alone as a politician who contributed to it, but he did contribute to it. And he was asked about it this week. He was asked about that filibuster of Alito. Um I don't think he gave a good answer. I don't think he gave an answer at all. I think he dodged the question. Um, and I think he'd be a little bit more credible on this right now if he, would, uh, if he would acknowledge that, if he would acknowledge his role in it a little bit more, be a little bit more forthright about that, um, and say, yeah, I was wrong. I mean, I think that if, if you were looking for a, a solution to these kinds of impasses, I think part of the solution is uh, you know, leaders standing up and saying, "Yeah, I've been part of the problem."
1: I, I couldn't agree with you more. But I'm even wondering if this is a story at all. I mean, from a constitutional standpoint, the president has a right to nominate. The Senate has a right to do whatever they want to do that, regarding the confirmation. I'm, I mean, I'm wondering if the media is just whipping this up as a story. It seems like a non-event to me. Nothing will happen. End of story. I mean, in
2: a way, you're—I right. mean, right—the story of American politics right now, the story of Washington right now is—is is that is nothing happens
1: except for that the media is whipping control. this up into some big issue and i'm thinking to myself is there's is no issue here um, i mean it's nothing yeah. will happen until after the election uh and we already know that this is one of those you know we were talking about the fact that a lot's unpredictable about this particular election but this to me seems like a really predictable scenario
2: yeah oh you know is i'm not surprised at all by by the posture that either side's taking on this um, and I think it's, it's, simple, it's symptomatic of something much bigger, which is just sort of, it, it's the gridlock. It's, it's, I think each party is almost waiting. It may not happen, but I think each party is waiting for the voters to break the tie. I mean, the voters have given Republicans, Congress and the Democrats, the white house. And yeah, I mean, we saw the first couple years of the Obama presidency, you know, the Democrats had the Senate, they had the house, they had the white house. They did a lot of things for better or for worse. They did a lot of things because they had the power to do it. Um, they haven't had that power. Uh, since 2010, since the Republicans got Congress. And at the same time, Republicans, while they've had Congress, they haven't had the White House. So they can pass all the bills they want, uh, but they can't get the president to sign anything. And I think each party is just hoping that this election um, provides clarity and gives one of them the authority to actually do something. Although I think when you look at the, the reality of it, it's, well it's it's possible republicans could could end up with uh, with everything after this election but it's hard to see how the democrats would uh, would get the house
1: well i i agree i couldn't agree with you more and i frankly i think all this bickering and this gridlock uh, coming to light just plays into Donald Trump's hands perfectly uh, because he's the outsider, you know, that really doesn't. Trump, uh, Trump and do,
6: Sanders,
2: yeah. I, Tur- I think Trump and Sanders, Sanders, I mean,
1: this plays beautifully to uh, for them. They the People don't want to see right. the gridlock continue, and, the, you know, now they have some uh, alternatives. Now, we only have a couple more minutes, and I, I want to change gears here again because there's a lot of buzz about your new book coming out. So uh, can you give us any sneak preview on this, and when will it be
3: out?
2: Um, hopefully next year. Um, and, and the idea is it's, it's sort of a, uh, political history of the 1990s. Um, and the idea is basically that the, the divide, we're just talking about it a minute ago here, this, this gridlock, this blue red divide, um, that exists right now where the, where the parties just don't agree on anything where the parties are, are just increasingly far apart from each other. Um, not just in terms of their agendas, but in terms of who they represent, there's just huge cultural and Geographic and demographic divides between the parties. It's almost like there's two tribes in this country now a red tribe and a blue tribe. Um, And the book is basically going to argue that uh, that that started in the 1990s the Bill Clinton presidency, the rise of Newt Gingrich in the Republican Congress, um, that that we went, uh, we started as a decade where, uh, um, you know, a Republican candidate for president could win 49 states. I mean, that had just happened in the 1980s with Ronald Reagan. Um, and we ended the decade with that will never happen again neither party will ever win 49 states again because by the end of the decade the red states and the blue states had been born um, and, and it was just the, the, the line separating the two parties were very clear um, so it's a the book is sort of about how that happened and how we've been living with it ever since
1: well, it's it's interesting, uh, not long ago, I guess a couple of years ago, I had Jesse Ventura on the program, and he didn't quite describe it as red and blue. He described it as the Bloods and the Crips. <laughs>
2: Same idea. Yeah, I like that.
1: <laughs> he said it's the Bloods and the Crips, and they're never going to get together. And that's that's yep. the end of that. And you're right. After 49 states, I don't think we're going to see a 49-state election. But you know what? Uh, everything's up for play uh, this election season. And as you say, that's what makes it exciting. Before we're completely out of time, do you have a website where listeners today can go to stay current on your program and, and uh, find out uh, about your articles that you're publishing?
2: Um, yeah, there's no, I mean, you just go to, uh, msnbc.com. Um, and, uh, you know, you can, uh, I think search my name there. Uh, mm-hmm. there's no, you know, set page for me, but, uh, all the stuff is there msnbc.com.
1: Terrific. Okay. Well, we are all out of time, but before we say goodbye, I want to take a moment to thank you for your wonderful coverage on MSNBC and for making time to be with us today. Thank you, Mr. Kornacki.
2: Thank you. This was great fun.
1: If your station is leaving us after this hour, and you have a question or a comment to make about our interview with Steve Kornacki, you can email me at rebeccacosta.com or drop me a note on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn. We're all over the internet, and we'd love to hear from you. And if you miss the full interview with Kornacki or in- any of our other guests, you can download previous episodes of the Costa Report from our website, Apple, iTunes, Podbean, and our YouTube channel. And while you're at the website, take a moment to check out the blogs, the articles, videos, commentaries by people you know like Richard Branson, Trudy Styler, E.O. Wilson. The website's chocked full of information that you will not find anywhere else including one of the world's most advanced flying cars in action. There's a video right there on the homepage, and it's going, this car is going to be rolling off of production next year so have a look. And while you're at the website make sure you pick up your copy of my book, The Watchman's Rattle, the only book that shows how growing complexity in everyday life makes it difficult to separate unproved Proven beliefs from empirical facts. And who isn't having trouble uh, separating one from the other these days? Our guest next week is former Senator Jeff Bingaman. He'll be here to talk about the low-carbon bill he put forward, which included helping Alaska's coastal areas adjust to climate change, as well as news that the nuclear test ban treaty may be rekindled. Don't miss Senator Jeff Bingaman next week right here on the only news program that puts policy ahead of politics. Now stay tuned for for another hour of straight talk radio you're listening to the costa report